When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central. Simpler communications. Welcome to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Now for your host, Dan Mater. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the MD's Fantasy Football Show, MD Nation. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, and we are here to recap the Sunday games to week one. We actually had a full day, a Sunday fun day of football, and I hope that all of you listening to the show had great success in your fantasy leagues. I can understand, though, if not, because there were a lot of injuries, a lot of surprises, disappointments, and of course, a lot of guys who surprised us all by in the positive ways, by going off in ways we did not expect to happen. There was a lot of things to take out of week one, as there always is, but the bottom line is this is why we play the game. We spend all offseason preparing, calculating, projecting, and when football comes, then we all see why football is such a great game because it cannot be computer simulated. There are just things that you cannot take into consideration, and we're going to get to all of those aspects in tonight's episode or this morning's episode as you're going to be listening to this on Monday morning. I am recording this Sunday night while the Sunday night game is actually taking place, so we're going to recap the Sunday night game along with our two Monday night games on the Tuesday's episode along with our waiver wire segment for that day as well. So that's what's going to happen for that. For today, we are purely just recapping, making sure you have all the information you need as to what happened and be able to take with you to move forward into week two and hopefully either bounce back or keep the winning ways going by listening to this show. All right, we got a latest news segment we have to get to because a lot happened over the weekend before the games on Sunday kicked off that we have to talk about since I talked to you guys on Friday. You would think just one day, two days, two days in between of having an episode, there wouldn't be that much that happened. But of course, Antonio Brown and Melvin Gordon had other things to say. So let's go ahead and drop that latest news segment and we can talk about those two guys real quick before we jump into the recaps. Latest news. Yes, once again, we have to kick off the latest news segment by talking about Antonio Brown. Now, I did get to talk about him a little bit already. If you're following along with me on my videos that I am now doing as well on sportscaster.com, it's a great website, great place for fans 
for the fans, to the fans, for a lot of all sports information all the time. And what I've been doing as of late and what I plan on doing for the future on there, if you haven't been already checking me out, is I plan on doing at least two videos a week while I'll talk about the waiver wire, I'll talk about the rankings, and I may be doing a third video a week when I do injury reports leading in to the Sunday matchup so that way you guys all know who you're supposed to be looking out for as far as the injury news coming in on Sunday morning. And also make sure you're checking me out on Twitter at MDSFFshow as I had all the inactives and active players tweeting out to you all throughout Sunday morning leading up into your matchups. So that way you guys are all good to go and up to date by following this show, getting the latest news as fast as humanly possible. But enough of that. What we have going on right now with Antonio Brown is that he signed with the New England Patriots, a one-year $15 million deal with $9 million guaranteed, which was actually a lot more than I expected that he would get paid. So that part was surprising to me. However, it does put him in a situation where he can still maintain his top 10 wide receiver status. He will play in week two, which is a great thing for him as well. And on top of all of that, he might have found himself in a better situation where he might even have a higher ceiling than he did before. Yes, he's changing teams at the beginning of the year. Yes, he's going to have to get himself immersed into the playbook, but he's Antonio Brown. He's one of the best wide receivers in the league. Now he's playing with Tom Brady and a Patriots offense that always puts players in the best position to succeed so overall at the end of the day for Antonio Brown's fantasy prospects this might actually wind up working out to his favor giving him that floor that some people were worried about because of Derek Carr and the Oakland Raider offense and gives him that floor that everyone can be able to sink their teeth into and know that he's going to be at least a low-end wide receiver one from week to week and then on top of all that he now puts himself in a position where he could have a ceiling of a top five type of guy because of the offense, because of the quarterback. So all things pointing up for Antonio Brown. Now look, this is a fantasy show, so this is what I focus on as far as that goes. I do not focus on you know what he did to get himself put in that position or how idiotic, retarded it absolutely was. But all that matters now is that Antonio Brown is New England Patriot and it helps his fantasy prospects this season. Now on the flip side, who else does it affect? Well, First of all, it affects Josh Gordon in a very negative way. Josh Gordon goes from a guy who I think could have been a high-end wide receiver three, low-end wide receiver two, with potential wide receiver one upside if things were to fall his way. Now it puts himself in a position where the best he could really hope for is a low-end wide receiver two as his ceiling, but most likely will just be a wide receiver three, wide receiver four flex play for you in a week-to-week basis, unless this offense does turn into a juggernaut and turns into one of the top offenses in the NFL where you just want a piece of it, just like the way you want a piece of the Kansas City Chiefs offense, no matter who it is, no matter where it's coming from. The Patriots are in position now where they could wind up being that good, but until we see it, we have to simmer our expectations on Josh Gordon. Now, it doesn't mean he can't still be a deep ball threat because he will be. doesn't mean he won't still be a big play guy. doesn't mean he won't get favorable matchups because with Antonio Brown and Julian Edelman, he will. He will be an afterthought with those two guys around him. But at the end of the day, the volume is just not there for Josh Gordon to have the consistent floor that you are going to be hoping for. 
And that's what you have to take in consideration. Now, with Julian Edelman, it doesn't move the sticks at all from you and Julian Edelman because Julian Edelman isn't his role. He's going to be the slot guy. He's going to be the safety blanket. He's going to be the option route guy. That is what Julian Edelman is going to do. Antonio Brown's going to be moved inside and outside. They will find the great ways to, to use him. I have no concerns about that. But as far as that goes, really, Josh Gordon is the only one that I move on. And I guess I would have to say that Tom Brady has a much higher ceiling than he did going into this season as well. I had him squarely as a QB2. This could put him on the cusp of being a lower end QB1 with even more upside if the offense is able to go on a tear, which it does now have the talent to possibly be able to do. So that is something we're going to have to keep our eyes on there too with Tom Brady. In other news, we have to talk about is Melvin Gordon. It comes out Melvin Gordon is being reported that he may return somewhere between weeks six and week eight. Now, we know he has to come back by week 10 in order to accrue the season so he can also go to free agency next year. However, week 6, week 8 would be earlier than that deadline. So the thought process may be he just doesn't necessarily want to hold out quite that long, which may be the right move for him. But what I would say is that I would, I would, I would coach caution here. That I would, I would be cautious because while it would be nice to have him back sooner rather than later, absolutely, especially if you took the chance on Melvin Gordon, because there's no reason that he has to come back in week six or week eight because he can come back in week 10 and still get his season accrued for, there's a chance that when the time comes, he winds up getting pushed out. And he, wanted, he decides to not come back until then. So I would still go forward with your plans with the idea that you may not have Melvin Gordon for the first 10 weeks. Now, does that mean you trade him? Only if the offer is right. But just keep that in mind that it's good to hope for week 6 to week 8. But there's still a decent chance that this could wind up going all the way to week 10. Because there's no real reason why he has to come back that early necessarily. Unless he just wants to. Which could be the case as well. We're going to take a quick break right here. We come back. We're going to get kicked off on the recap games, starting with the 1 o'clock games, of course, on the other side. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is proud to become the newest member of the Belly Up Sports Network. The Belly Up Sports Network is a rising star in the sports industry. After having emerged onto the scene in just a year, they have accrued a massive following with bold articles, standout podcasts, and great debate amongst followers in the forums. Sign up for their newsletter and get access to all of the information throughout the Belly Up Sports Network. Go to bellyupsports.com today to join. Be bold and stand out. This holiday season, Lexus wants you to remember. Nothing feels as good as making others feel good. Those so-called feel-good holiday films? They can't hold a gingerbread-scented candle to the feeling of giving them something that gives them all the feels. Make this December one to remember, together. Click the banner to discover more. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Here at the Container Store, we believe you shouldn't be limited to just one happy place. Your home should be full of them. That's why we're giving you 30% off every custom alpha space. From closets and pantries to playrooms, offices, and garages, you can transform any area with alpha and save 30%. Here's another happy thought. Our design specialists will design your space for free. Get ready to discover your new happy place at the Container Store. Visit us in-store or online to get started with a free design. 
So the first game I have jotted down my list here is the beatdown that was the Tennessee Titans and the Cleveland Browns. And this was a surprise to me and a surprise to a lot of people that the Titans absolutely destroyed the Cleveland Browns. Part of it was that the Browns pretty much beat themselves. They did not look like they were in sync on offense. Baker Mayfield looked confused out there at times. And also once Robinson got himself ejected from the game, the left tackle for a foot to the face against a Tennessee defender who was coming down on him, their whole offensive line looked to fall apart and they were getting penetration on nearly every play against the Cleveland offense. And that had a lot to do with the three picks that then ensued. Baker Mayfield got a little banged up. The x-rays came back negative. He should be good to go, even though he was sporting a wrap on his wrist. It should give you a little injury update there. Baker Mayfield, he was 25-38, 285 yards, a touchdown, and three picks. Just wasn't good in this game. And there's something about this game that maybe shows you that preseason isn't completely worthless when it comes to trying to get guys into rhythm and getting the rust knocked off and looking sharp for when the season starts. Because while some teams looked very sharp, a lot of the teams that did look like they were in sync this week, now not all of them, and we're going to get to those games, but most of the teams that looked like they were in sync this week were teams that actually legitimately played their starters in preseason throughout the training camp. The guys who didn't really looked rusty to me, Baker Mayfield here, even Aaron Rodgers, when we go back and look at the Thursday night game, there's some more teams that we're going to talk about later on today that looked very rusty that were teams that did not play their guys throughout the preseason at all. So kind of shows you that maybe playing some guys, at least getting them some reps in the preseason, at least one game, like the third game of the preseason, when that used to be the game when everyone played their starters for at least the first half, maybe it is worth it to do so in that in that sense, and get the rust knocked off instead of having to go into week one and all of a sudden looking like you were pretty much a deer caught in the headlights because that's what the Browns looked like on offense. Nick Chubb here with 16 carries for 74 yards. He was fine, 4.6 yards per carry. Not more, not much more you can ask for there other than you would hope that in most games, especially when it's game script favorable, which the Cleveland Browns will be in more of those games as the season wears on. It's only week one. He should get closer to 20 carries in each game. Uh, while he did wind up with a total of 19 touches in this game because he did have three catches on four targets, I suspect we're going to see more games out of him where he gets 20 carries. But he was efficient with the touches that he had. He just didn't get into the red zone. But he'll be fine to come, so no worries about Nick Chubb there. If anything, he was one of the few bright spots for the Cleveland Browns. Odell Beckham, he led the team in targets, 11 targets. He had seven catches. He had 71 yards, though. And with Odell Beckham, that's a PPR receiver uh, a slot receiver type of stat line there. That's not a guy you you drafted to be your wide receiver one. You're looking for more of a stat line of, you're looking for him to get more like 15 yards per catch, not 10 yards per catch, which is what he wound up getting in this matchup. Now, better days are ahead for this entire offense in general, but good to know, Baker Mayfield was looking for Odell Beckham often. And Odell Beckham, his injury, his hip injury that people were somewhat concerned about didn't hinder him that much because he was still heavily involved throughout the day. Jarvis Landry was the second most targeted wide receiver. No surprises there. Four catches and 67 yards. 
That was a little bit lower of a stat line considering how this game went, being that Tennessee was up by so much and Cleveland had to throw the ball as much as they did. It was a little disconcerting to see Jarvis Landry still only come away with four catches, but at the end of the day was the second most targeted receiver on the team and should have better days ahead with him as well. David Njoku was the only player on the Browns to find the red zone. Four catches, 37 yards, a touchdown on six targets, was the third most targeted pass catcher for the Cleveland Browns. Something of note, something to take into consideration, David Njoku was one of my bus guys, so didn't call it there, but it is week one, and we will see what happens moving forward. This is typically an offense that doesn't get to use uh, the tight ends that often, or doesn't put an emphasis on it, I should say. And in this matchup, there was a lot more volume throwing available going around as well that could have boosted some of the numbers, especially David Njoku. Now, one thing was Richard Higgins wasn't much of a factor in this matchup. Two catches, 46 yards on three targets. He is somebody who is just eye-worthy on the waiver wire as of right now. On the Titans side of the ball, Derrick Henry was an absolute monster. 19 carries, 84 yards, and a rushing touchdown. So he was solid in his rushing stat. The thing that got you and what you can't really hope to get week in and week out basis was that he had a reception for 75 yards and a touchdown in this game off of two targets. Now, obviously, that is something that you may never get again at any point this season, but what you should take away is that he got his 19 carries. It was in a favorable game script, which is what you're looking for when you play Derrick Henry's that you need the Titans to be leading. Now, most games aren't going to be quite this much of a blowout, but in games that are close or in games in which the Titans are up by a score or two, it should be Derrick Henry time, and that's when you can expect him to get his 20 carries, and that's what happened here. Now, I didn't expect that to happen against the Cleveland Browns in this matchup, but it goes to show you that's when you can hope that Derrick Henry can be at his best, and he did not disappoint those of you who still believed and drafted him to beat your RB2 this week. A.J. Brown was a big surprise for me here as he went three catches, 100 yards on four targets. Now, he was only tied for second on the team as far as targets go, so he definitely capitalized on the opportunities that he was able to get. But it was impressive to me that the rookie wide receiver, who had been banged up for quite a bit of training camp, was the leading receiver as far as yards go on the team. Now, targets, that went to Delaney Walker. Delaney Walker, the old man Delaney Walker, is here to stay. Six targets, five catches, 55 yards, and two touchdowns. Delaney Walker re-submits himself as a top 10 tight end, a playmaker, a the, the pass catcher that you possibly want to have on the Tennessee Titans. No surprise there. Just good to see him coming back off the injury at his age to be able to do that. Corey Davis, big goose egg. Big goose egg. I told you guys all to stay away from Corey Davis all summer long. He was one of my big-time busts. He comes out week one, three targets for zero catches, zero yards. Now, yeah, not every game is going to be that pathetic for Corey Davis. That's not what I'm saying. But it does go to show you there are other weapons here now. Delaney Walker being back. A.J. Brown looks like he could be a favorite target. And another thing of note that I want to take into consideration here is that everyone should now not have to just take my word for it when I say cool your jets on Adam Humphreys. One target, one catch, five yards. Yes, this was a game where Tennessee didn't have to come from behind. There's going to be more volume throwing in those type of games. I expect them to be a more competitive, close games, especially towards the end. We're going to see a few more throws, a few more pass attempts there out of the Tennessee Titans. However, having said all that, 
I said it before, everybody wanted to chalk up Adam Humphreys being this sleeper PPR type of wide receiver after he was targeted so much in one preseason game. It's the preseason. A.J. Brown wasn't out there. Corey Davis wasn't out there. Yeah, that if, he, if those two receivers aren't out there anytime in the regular season, yeah, Adam Humphreys might get a few more looks in those situations. And that wasn't the case here. Marcus Mariota, just real quick on him, 14-24, 248 yards and three touchdowns. He looked solid in his first game out there after having a very shaky preseason, after almost seemingly losing the job to Ryan Tannehill. Now, he didn't have to do too much. He was able to play within himself. All he pretty much had to do was not turn the ball over, which he did not in this game. He didn't have to play from behind. He didn't have to play with urgency. He was able to relax and just kind of let the game go to him, and he's at his best when he's able to do that. He didn't give you that much on the ground. Only He only ran for three times for 24 yards in this matchup. He's not a guy, I'm still not on him on the streaming you know, wire. That's not somebody who I'm going to look to stream at my quarterback position on a week-to-week basis. But if he can at least be efficient throughout the season, guys like A.J. Brown, Delaney Walker, Derrick Henry should be able to give you the fantasy seasons that you've been hoping for out of them. In our next matchup here, we have the Washington Redskins and the Philadelphia Eagles. This game wound up being a lot closer than I thought it was going to be initially. I thought the Eagles would come in and dominate, and at first, the Redskins were about to put on a hell of a shocker. Case Keenum. Case Keenum went 30 of 44 with 380 yards and three touchdowns. Case Keenum had had two more yards and a better stat line than Patrick Mahomes, who went off by the Jaguars, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, too. 380 yards and three touchdowns. Case Keenum was the number one quarterback for as far as yards go. How insane is that coming off a of Sunday? Now, remember, like I said, I'm recording this during the Sunday night game, and we haven't gotten to the Monday night games yet. So I don't know if he's going to be number one guy for week one. However, at Case Keenum, against what was supposed to be a improved Eagles defense in Philadelphia with a Washington offense that is lacking weapons. And the big guy that he went to, and this is a guy that I've been talking about as a deep sleeper, all summer long, was Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin, I kept saying it the whole time, I thought Terry McLaurin was more impressive to me coming out of college than Paris Campbell. This isn't the first time I'm saying that. I've been saying that for all summer long. I thought he was actually the more pro-ready wide receiver coming out of Ohio State. He goes five catches, 125 yards, a touchdown, and seven targets. Now, my big thing about Terry McLaurin was that I thought he was going to be a deep sleeper because when Dwayne Haskins eventually takes over, and he still will, when he eventually takes over, they already have a rapport coming from Ohio State. So that's more why I was expecting him to be a deep sleeper. I did not think that he would be able to put up these kind of numbers with Case Keenum under center. This was very impressive. Behind him was Chris Thompson. Chris Thompson, seven catches, 68 yards off of 10 targets. Chris Thompson has his role. He's going to be a valuable flex play week in and week out from a PPR standpoint, especially when the Redskins play against teams that have good offenses. Because I, I really do believe the Redskins will be a sub-500 team this year. They're going to be in a lot of games where they're going to have to play from behind. Chris Thompson is going to be able to benefit in those matchups. Now, it's not an overly impressive stat line, but that's good enough to give you flex in PPR leagues. Maybe you don't want him in standard. Maybe half point, he's more of just a cusp, a bye week fill-in. But he's a full-fledged flex for me in PPR leagues for sure. And he showed you why here. 
Vernon Davis filled in for Jordan Reed. He had that one big play at a 48-yard touchdown to pretty much to kick off the game. He had seven targets in this one, four catches, 59 yards. Didn't do too much after that touchdown, but the old man Vernon Davis had an impressive showing. Look, as long as Jordan Reed is out, there's an argument to be made for Vernon Davis to be able to stream him in your lineups at the tight end position if that is something that you were doing with that as well because he is a guy who's going to get targeted in this offense. They need red zone threats. He is going to be whoever the tight end is, whether it's Jordan Reed when he comes back or Vernon Davis filling in for him. They are going to be the number one targets in the red zone. So you stick going with them. Trey Quinn here got the touchdown too. He had four catches, 33 yards on six targets. Trey Quinn has such a low floor. I know he's coming in this season. He had some hype because people thought that he might lead the team in targets. But that may not be the case if Terry McLaurin is already set to take a step up in this offense. Although I wouldn't get too, I'm not going to say, tell you that Terry McLaurin should be your number one pickup on the waiver wire by any stretch of the means. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am telling you is that he's definitely somebody to keep your eye on and maybe sooner in the season than I was expecting originally. As far as the running backs go, outside of Chris Thompson, he only gave you three carries for 10 yards. Darius Geis in this matchup gave you 10 carries for 18 yards. I told you guys to stay away from Darius Geis all summer long. He's one of my big-time busts. This was not a plus matchup for him. The Eagles' run defense is always very good. What was surprising here was that AP was a healthy, inactive to go into the game. Jay Gruden pretty much came into this game wanting to make it clear that he wanted Darius Geis to be the guy. That's who he wanted. Darius Geist to be the guy. And it backfired. 1.8 yards of carry was a non-factor in the passing game. It would not shock me if AP comes back and is definitely active next week with a role. A significant role at that. Because that was completely unimpressive by the Washington Redskins. And being that they were up 20-7 to going into the half, there was really no reason why he should have only carried the ball 10 times. He was not impressive to me at all. As I've been saying the entire time, he's been overrated from the get-go. And while this is, yes, this is just week one, and while probably better statistical days are ahead because it simply just can't get much worse, I'm still not going to worry about ever having to play Darius Geis in my lineup. This is not somebody I'm going to want on my team. On the Eagles' side of the ball, Carson Wentz was very impressive. Look, it took a little while for the offense to get going, but once they did, they came out in the second half and dominated. He was 28 of 39, 313 yards and three touchdowns, no interception. He looked like the Carson Wentz of old. He looked at the MVP self, and the big reason why is because of the player that I have been harping to you guys all offseason long, Deshaun Jackson. Eight catches for 154 yards, two touchdowns. He led the team in targets with 10. Now, that's not what I expect. 154 yards and two touchdowns of Deshaun Jackson isn't that surprising because we know of his big playability. And he had two 50-yarders in this game, too, by the way. That's how he got his two touchdowns. And that's not surprising. You always know he's a home run threat anytime he's out in the field. It's the inconsistency from week to week. What I don't ever expect to see is for him to get eight catches. What I don't ever expect to see is for him to lead the team in targets. That was impressive to me. He got separation on a regular. So even though he's a little bit older, it shows you he's still one of the fastest players on the field without a doubt. That's one of the great things here about Deshaun Jackson. I really always felt like he was going to open up this offense to a whole new level for the Philadelphia Eagles. And that second half, he showed you how. 
Zach Ertz was second there. He had seven targets, five catches, 54 yards. Just wasn't able to get in the end zone, but Alshon Jeffrey was. Alshon Jeffrey not only had a receiving touchdown, but he had a rushing touchdown in this game on a little flick screen. That could have went either way, but it wound up getting chalked up as a lateral. So he winds up getting a rushing touchdown here. But Alshon Jeffrey with two touchdowns in his first game back after he missed the beginning part of last season. Good to see him get involved. Five catches, 49 yards on six targets. Everyone else was pretty much an afterthought. Nelson Aguilar did have five targets here, but everyone else had three targets. Goddard, Sproles, Howard, Miles Sanders had two. So we see who the top three guys are. Goddard might not get sprinkled in as much as we all expected to. And this was a this was a good game to be able to get a gauge for how they want the passing attack to be. It's Alshon Jeffrey, Zachers, and Deshaun Jackson. And I think Deshaun Jackson may wind up having a little more consistency this year than years past. Now, I'm not saying he's going to put up these numbers every week. Of course, I'm not saying that. However, he's on a really good offense on a really good team. It may not be one big game for every four, as it seemingly was over the past couple of years. It may be one big game for every two every three that's a possibility which could wind up making him a top 20 receiver on the season by the time this is all said and done so he's somebody you're going to want to play especially if you got a good plus matchup on a backside corner in the running game Darren Sproles was actually the leading rusher for the Philadelphia Eagles in this game as far as yards go now carry he had nine carries though he was still second in carries Miles Sanders did lead the way in this game with 11 carries but only 25 yards 2.3 yards a carry And one of those carries went for 19. So he had 10 carries for 6 yards after his one one rush that went for 19 yards. Very not impressive. Now this is a pretty good Washington front 7, but you got to be a little bit better than that. Especially if they're going to give him the ball 11 times. Jordan Howard was effective. Jordan Howard had only 6 carries in this game, but he had 44 yards. Averaged 7 yards a carry. He had one run for 17 yards. He was much more efficient. And I do wonder if that means maybe they go back to, why don't we go back to our original plan of Jordan Howard leading the way with Miles Sanders getting sprinkled in? Because Miles Sanders is very not impressive in this ballgame. Next up we got to talk about is the Falcons and the Minnesota Vikings. And this was a weird game. This game I actually had pegged. I thought this might wind up being the best game of all the Sunday matchups because these are two teams that are supposed to be pretty good on both sides of the ball. Falcons are supposed to have an improved defense with getting some guys back who got injured a year ago, Keanu Neal and Deion Jones. Minnesota Vikings underachieving on the defensive side of the ball. New offensive coordinator. So I picked this game to be a pretty good one, and it was really lopsided. Really lopsided. Kirk Cousins only threw the ball 10 times in this game, which is also why this makes this a weird game to try to analyze because it's hard to really look at the passing game with any kind of notion of what to expect to come other than you know Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen are really good and you know that the Vikings are going to throw the ball more than 10 times in a game probably every single game from here on out. It was just very weird that it happened against what should be a good team in Atlanta Falcons and a team that I do think at the end of the day will still make the playoffs come this year. 8 for 10, 98 yards, a touchdown. So he kind of makes you look bad because I did have Kirk Cousins as a cusp QB one possible stream as one of my top streamers at the quarterback position and fantasy wise that definitely didn't get you done but if you were to tell me Kirk Cousins is only going to throw the ball 10 times this week I would have told you you were nuts and I think a lot of people would have agreed with me on that as well the big guy of course was Dalvin Cook Dalvin Cook you can't say enough about the performance Dalvin Cook had 
21 carries, 111 yards, two touchdowns, was so explosive throughout this game, and showed power and pop at the end of his runs on top of it. And he wasn't that involved in the passing game. Nobody was involved in the passing game, that is true. But he only had two targets, two catches for nine yards in the passing game. As far as the wide receivers go, Adam Thielen gets the touchdown here, so he kind of saves your fantasy day, but he only had three catches on three targets for 43 yards. Stephon Diggs only had two catches for 37 yards. And as I was flipping back and forth between the games, I you know I have the Stephon Diggs in one of my lineups, and I was wondering, oh, maybe he was more hurt by the hamstring than I thought. And then I realized, oh, wait a minute, they only threw the ball 10 times. He only was only targeted twice. So he caught both of his targets. Thielen caught all three of his targets. Better days are ahead for Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. Nothing I'm going to be concerned about with these two. What I do know is that Dalvin Cook's going to be a monster to come. On the Falcons' side of the ball, woo, they didn't look good. They look rusty. Matt Ryan was 33 or 46. He did go over 300 yards. He did get two touchdowns, two interceptions as well, but... He was able to salvage his fantasy day by the end of it in the fourth quarter by putting together those two touchdowns at the end. So at least he didn't destroy your fantasy matchups this week. The big thing here was the running game. Now look, the Minnesota Vikings defense line is very good. And like I said, this defense underachieved as a whole last year. But this Atlanta Falcons offensive line is supposed to be a lot better. Spending two first-rounders on offensive linemen, signing guys in free agency, still having Alex Mack, I expected this offensive line to show me something. And boy, did they come out flat. That was the biggest thing in my book. I did, the skill players, the, the offense didn't always look in sync as far as quarterback to receiver. Uh, running backs didn't look great. But the biggest thing to me was that that offensive line that's supposed to be improved didn't look anywhere up to snuff as it should have. And I expect that that will improve as we go. Look, with training camp and practices, it does take, especially new guys along the offensive line, a little bit longer to gel and get moving full force. It kind of takes a couple of weeks in the regular season. That's something I, I have to remind myself of and will try to do a good job of reminding you guys of. That that will tend to happen. So better days are ahead for the Atlanta Falcons. This is still going to be one of the top offenses by the end of the year when it's all said and done. I don't think there's any question about that. But in the meantime, it was really disconcerting to see. Devontae Freeman is one of the guys I had as a bounce-back candidate, as a guy who I really feel like is going to have a great opportunity. It really disconcerted me to see that Edo Smith was so much more efficient. Edo Smith had six carries for 31 yards, while Devontae Freeman had eight carries for 19 yards. Freeman also wasn't as involved in the passing game as I thought he would be. He only had four targets in this game, three catches for 12 yards. Just very mediocre. Now, it didn't look like him. He looked fine. As far as physicality goes for Devontae Freeman, he didn't look slow. He didn't look wide. He looked fine to me. It had more to do with the flow of this game, which was a weird game. Austin Hooper led the way with nine catches and 77 yards, caught all nine of his targets. Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones did find the red zone, so they were both able to salvage their fantasy days as well for you. Calvin Ridley going four for 64 off of six targets. Julio Jones, 11 targets in this game, six catches for 31 yards. What I take out of the Julio stat line is Xavier Rhodes is back as well. That's what I take out of that. Xavier Rhodes is going to be back to being a top shutdown corner. When you have a receiver playing against him, you may not be so happy that you do, even if he's a top guy. That That's really all that shows me. Better days are ahead for this Falcons offense in general. I'm not worried about them at the end of the day, and, and things will get better. We're going to take a quick break, come back on the other side. We still got more games to recap, everyone. 
The MD's Fantasy Football Show is proud to become a new member of Overtime Heroics. Overtime Heroics is a fantastic sports media platform for sports fans all around the world to come and participate in their extensive forums. And now with the merger of the Land Sports Network, the website will soon have great content available from extremely well-written articles to entertaining and informative podcasts from all sports for you to enjoy. All you have to do is register for free at OvertimeHeroics.com to participate. Again, that's OvertimeHeroics.com. All right, for our next game up, we got the Rams and the Panthers game. This one looked like it was going to be pretty much one-sided, and all of a sudden, second half, we had ourselves a ball game. Starting off on the Rams' side of the ball, Jared Goff, very modest. 23 of 39, only 186 yards, a touchdown, one interception. Look, the Rams' offense in general, while they were up 13-3 going into halftime, it did seem to take them a while to actually get into sync. Part of that was they looked a little bit rusty, as some offenses do in Week 1. They were a team that didn't play all of their starters throughout the preseason as well. The other part of that was Carolina was putting absolutely no pressure on them at the time to have to play with more urgency on the offensive side of the ball. The big thing we got to take out here is Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley, 14 carries, 97 yards, still looked very explosive, but Malcolm Brown had 11 carries to Todd Gurley's 14 carries. And I'll be the first to admit it, I have been a big proponent for Todd Gurley all offseason long that he could still be a top five running back in fantasy for you overall. I still believe that. This game was concerning to me for a couple of different reasons, though. Malcolm Brown the one who is the one who got two touchdowns. Now, Malcolm Brown wasn't as good, but he was still efficient with his carries. He had 53 yards. The biggest reason why I felt as though Todd Gurley would be able to maintain his top five running back stats for fantasy purposes and that the knee issue was incredibly overblown was two reasons. One, I didn't think he would lose as many carries people wanted to make him out to be. Would he get 20? No, I figured he probably wouldn't get 20. But I did figure he would average somewhere between 16 and 18. And while that probably will happen in a few games, it was disconcerting to me that he had 14 carries while Malcolm Brown had 11 in a game that was pro-game script for the run game for most of it because the Rams did lead this game from start to finish. And it was also disconcerting because I also felt like Todd Gurley would still control the red zone opportunities. Malcolm Brown wound up with two goal line touchdowns. I felt that Todd Gurley would still be the main pass-catching back. He only had one target. Now, Malcolm Brown wasn't targeted at all, and Daryl Henderson only played one snap this entire game. So it's clear that Malcolm Brown is the handcuff, not Daryl Henderson. Maybe they're just holding on to Daryl Henderson in case something does happen to Todd Gurley. I still believe Daryl Henderson is the better talent at the end of the day, but it is clear that at least early on, or at least while Todd Gurley is healthy, Malcolm Brown seems to be the handcuff. And he probably would be the handcuff if Todd Gurley got hurt as far as being the runner goes. And maybe Henderson would get mixed in on passing down work. Because like I said, Malcolm Brown wasn't targeted at all in this game. But Todd Gurley's only targeted once. One catch for four yards. That's it. So in total, he only had 15 touches. Now, on one hand, on the 14 carries, he still, had 90, he still almost had 100 yards. He's three yards away from having a 100-yard game on very few touches. And he looked good throughout the game. He didn't look hobbled by the knee injury. He looked explosive. He was able to make his cuts. He made his runs to the outside. He beat guys off the edge. So he looked like he was vintage Todd Gurley. But there definitely seems to be a clear-cut plan, at least in the beginning of the season, to not use him quite as much. Now, part of that could be they just don't get... He didn't play it all in the preseason. He just played in training camp and practiced in training camp. 
So part of the plan could be earlier on in the season, they want to try to use Malcolm Brown more to give Todd Gurley more touches as the season goes on so he's not worn out in the beginning. So this, this could be something that we just see for the first few weeks, and then Todd Gurley starts to get closer to that 18 touch mark, which is more what I expect to see him. And I expect him to be more involved in the passing game as well, which also surprised me, especially given that they were looking for checkdowns with the Carolina front getting a decent pass rush on the day. So there's a couple of things I was concerned with, but at the end of the day, Todd Gurley still, like I said, he was only three three yards away from a 100-yard day. So I still think Todd Gurley is in a position where he could be a top five quarterback for you, but I'm a little bit more concerned heading in out of this week than I was heading into the season. Not concerned about the knee, but concerned about the overall usage. By the way, if you're a Todd Gurley owner, you have to go pick up Malcolm Brown. Luckily for you, most people drafted Dale Henderson. So Malcolm Brown is actually available in a lot of leagues, and I suspect as long as he is less than 50% owned across the board, and I do all platforms when I looked at my waiver wire, it's you have to be 50% or less owned on average between ESPN and Yahoo and NFL because as I am not affiliated with any one, I like all of my listeners from all different platforms to come, and I want you guys to have the best information available to you. So when I give you an average player availability, that means across all all platforms. So that way it should apply to you as long with everyone else. Malcolm Brown, I suspect, will be in my waiver wire segment come Tuesday. Robert Woods was the leading wide receiver in this game. He had 13 targets that led the way. He had eight catches, 70 yards. Typical Robert Woods game. The only difference was he didn't get in the red zone in this game. But this offense in general didn't look as sharp as it did a season ago. And yet still played pretty well. So better days are ahead and even more scoring opportunities are ahead. Cooper Cup looked good coming back off his ACL injury. He had 10 targets, 7 catches, and 46 yards. Brandon Cooks was really the only disappointment here. Two two catches on for 39 yards off of 6 targets. We know there's sometimes going to be an odd man out when it comes to this offense. But at the end of the year, all three of these wide receivers have a legitimate chance to be in the top 24 of their position. So at the end of the day, you kind of take it. And there was nothing here that should concern you. On the Panthers' side of the ball, there are things that concern me. And I wouldn't say so much as concerned me as just kind of reinforce the entire idea that I've been putting out and being the drum upon all summer long, which is Cam Newton doesn't look good throwing the ball. He didn't. He looked like he was severely lacking velocity on his throws that were more than 12 yards deep. He did. And this is what I was concerned about the entire time. This is why DJ Moore was one of my biggest busts on the year. Why I was saying stay away from Curtis Samuel, who wanted to pump him up as a sleeper. Now, DJ Moore wound up still having a decent stat line. If you had PPR leagues, he still had you a good game. Because he did wind up with 10 targets for 7 catches and 76 yards. And that's why I've said all along that DJ Moore is the more valuable guy to Curtis Samuel. Because he's the guy they're going to target the most. So he'll get the most opportunities. But the leading target guy was Christian McCaffrey. 10 catches, 81 yards. And what that tells me is Cam's still looking to check down the ball more often than not. He's not looking to go deep. He doesn't have the confidence in an arm, and it showed. Now, McCaffrey had a huge game overall. Not only did he have a big receiving total, and if you're in PPR leagues, you know, you love them. But he also had 19 carries for 128 yards and two touchdowns. He's one of the few running backs who put on weight And I wasn't really worried about it because you saw it in today's game. He put on weight. He put on muscle. It didn't slow him down at all. 
A lot of times that happens with running backs. A lot of times when they put on weight, you see a notable a noticeable difference in their speed. There is no difference in Christian McCaffrey's speed. And if he's going to keep getting focused on as the main part of this offense as far as Camden is going to want to check down the ball 24-7, so Christian McCaffrey is going to be one of the leading receivers as well as an effective runner, he's going to continue his status competing for that RB1 spot all year long. So this was everything good about Christian McCaffrey, why you took him high end in the first round. Outside of DJ Moore and Chris McCaffrey, as the pass catching goes, Greg Olson was the third leading targeted guy. Nine targets, only four catches and 36 yards, no touchdowns, so not an impressive stat line at the end of the day. But I think it does give you some plausibility with Greg Olson being a streaming tight end throughout the season because he had nine targets. And I think it is something that you can take with you. Our next game here, we got the Chiefs and the Jaguars. So much for a top defense versus a top offense because the offense won the day. Patrick Mahomes came out firing, looking like he had not missed a beat from a season ago. 378 yards, three touchdowns, 25 of 33. He looked great. He did sprain his ankle, according to head coach Andy Reid, but he only came out for the play for half a second and came back in. He's not expected to miss any time. Unfortunately, the same cannot be said for Tyree Kill, who, of course, I own in a few leagues and killed me today. Same cannot be said for Tyree Kill. Now, the good news for Tyree Kill is that he didn't break his clavicle like Nick Foles did on the other side of the ball, and he does not require surgery. So instead of having the possibility of missing a couple of months, he might only miss a couple of weeks, but he is expected to miss a couple of weeks. So you're going to be without Tyree Kill for at least a couple of games. But it could have been a lot worse at the end of the day. Sammy Watkins went crazy. And the one cool thing about Sammy Watkins moving forward and being confident in his usage is, well, one, he's healthy right now, and you saw it. He ran away from that Jaguar secondary, and that is going to be one of the better secondaries in the NFL this season, and one of the faster ones at that. He ran away from them. They couldn't keep up. So as long as he's healthy and that dynamic in that offense with Patrick Mahomes, sky's the limit. And without Tyreek Hill, the argument can be made that he's at least a high-end wide receiver two, possibly wide receiver one, while Tyreek Hill is out. Because all of a sudden he gets a guaranteed workload. He was the leading targeted guy today. And he had four catches for 150 yards and two touchdowns when Tyreek Hill was actually in the game in today's game. But he's going to actually have a floor to go with it with Tyreek Hill out for the next couple of games. So Sammy Watkins should be starting in all lineups until Tyreek Hill comes back. And then even then, he may continue if he continues to be healthy. Because this was, this was an impressive showing. This looks like a chief offense ready to go. You know who also was impressive to me? Sean McCoy. 10 carries, 81 yards. Looked great. Only had one target, one catch of 12 yards. That role was assumed by Damian Williams, and that didn't really surprise me. Now, Damian Williams was the guy who actually led the way in carries and was the one who got the rushing touchdown, but he was inefficient. Surprise, surprise. Damian Williams, 13 carries, only 26 yards, two yards carry. That's it. Did get, Like I said, he did get the rushing touchdown, and he was involved in the passing game. Six targets, six catches, 39 yards. But this was also coming off of a week where LaShawn McCoy just got signed to the team a week ago. And was only supposed to play a limited amount of snaps because he's still learning the offense. Because this is a different offense Andy Reid is running than the last time we saw these two together. And he was very effective. He shows you why he is the better running back. Now I think this is something that we're going to continue to see. I think Damian Williams will be in there predominantly on passing downs. But I think as McCoy gets more comfortable with his playbook, I think you're going to see him take over 
the starting runner back role, and I call it the runner back role in this situation, sooner rather than later over Damian Williams. So if I'm a Damian Williams owner, I'm a little concerned. Now, if you're in PPR leagues, he's still going to have flex appeal for you. But when that day does come, and like I said, it could be it could be as soon as week two after what we saw this week, I'm going to be concerned because of how high most guys took Damian Williams in their drafts, and he may just be nothing more than a flex running back at this point. And PPR leagues only at that. I may not even want him in standard or in my starting lineup consistently in standard. But he does get you the touchdown here. He did get you the week one that you were hoping for for now. Travis Kelsey had eight targets, second most, but he only had three catches for 88 yards. Still a decent game at the end of the day, which is a touchdown away from having a really great stat line. Travis Kelsey is going to be a monster, and especially if Tyreek Hill is going to miss a couple of weeks, Travis Kelsey and Sammy Watkins expect to really sky's the limit for these guys for the next few weeks. Mecole Harmon, Demarcus Robinson. Look, Tyreek Hill got hurt early on in this game. You know, he had two targets, two catches, 16 yards. He got hurt early on. No one really seemed to take that role. No one was really a factor outside of Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins, and then dumping the ball off to Damian Williams. And Watkins threw the ball 33 times, so we do have something to gauge off of in this game. There's only one target for Harbin, two targets for Robinson. So we'll have to see who emerges at third right receiver. Yeah, better days are ahead for whoever replaces Tyree Kill, but they may not be a focal point, and they may be far enough down the pecking order where... They might not be necessarily guys that you want to run to the waiver wire to pick up right away. Just just as a forewarning. On the other side of the ball, Nick Foles talked about that. Broke his clavicle. He could be out the entire season. We don't know yet. Maybe towards the end he could come back. But I think the Jaguars would have to be in a playoff hunt for that to happen. He could be out. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Here at the Container Store, we believe you shouldn't be limited to just one happy place. Your home should be full of them. That's why we're giving you 30% off every custom alpha space. From closets and pantries to playrooms, offices, and garages. You can transform any area with alpha and save 30%. Here's another happy thought. Our design specialists will design your space for free. Get ready to discover your new happy place at the Container Store. Visit us in-store or online to get started with a free design. The entire year. The good news is that Gardner Minshew didn't look bad. Now, this isn't a good Kansas City Chiefs defense. But 22 of 25, 275 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick for the rookie. And I kind of like him for Leonard Fournette because he is a little bit more mobile. He should be able to help Fournette out in that instance. Fournette had his first career fumble in the NFL today. So... Not something to worry about. Obviously, it's not something he does very often. Only had 13 carries, 66 yards. So he had five yards to carry. So you're fine there. He was efficient with the touches that he got. And this was a game. The game got out of hand early. The Chiefs were up big heading in the half. So they were going to have to come out and throw the ball. And he was involved in the passing game. He was tied for second for the targets. Four catches, 28 yards off of six targets. You just want to see him be involved because that's going to keep his floor very high throughout the season. And, of course, he's going to have games where he's going to rush for over 100 yards and get you those touchdowns too. So I think at the end of the day, as much of a beatdown this was on the Jacksonville Jaguars, and as much as Leonard Fournette's stat line maybe wasn't anything that you wanted to ride home about, it's still a good sign for things to come. 
What was most impressive was the receiving core. Guys not named D.D. Westbrook were effective in this game. D.J. Shark, four catches, 146 yards, and a touchdown. Actually got the touchdown on the Nick Foles throw that got him hurt. Chris Conley led the way on this team. Seven targets, six catches, 97 yards, and a touchdown. Impressive. D.D. Westbrook had a touchdown too, but he only had five catches for 30 yards on six targets. At the end of the day, D.D. Westbrook is still the only Jacksonville Jaguars wide receiver in a PPR league that I'm going to ever contemplate starting in my lineups. This is one of those where you chalk it up to game script, a bad defense that they got to play against, totally circumstantial. I'm not suddenly going to think that I can play DJ Shark or Chris Conley anytime soon or maybe at all at any time this season. These very well could have been their best games of the year, and that wouldn't surprise me. So something to keep in mind there, D.D. Westbrook is still the only wide receiver I think is even worth owning for the Jacksonville Jaguars. This doesn't change that. And as far as my needle goes, I don't really think anybody's hurt by Gardner Minshew taking over. I don't think that Nick Foles that great anyway. He was having a decent game. He was 5 for 8 for 75 yards before he got hurt in touch. Minshew was just impressive. I don't think you lose much. So I don't worry about that there either. For the Bills and the Jets, this was a clobber knocker type of game. We kind of knew that was going to wind up being the case. The Bills making a comeback and able to pull out at the end of the game. Josh Allen's not good, period. I know they wound up coming back. I know he made a couple of good plays at the end there that allowed them to put themselves in the situation. I think that had more to do with John Brown being a savvy veteran wide receiver than Josh Allen being a good quarterback. On that deep throw, that the touchdown to set them up to get back in this game. He was 24 of 37, 254 yards, touchdown, two interceptions, and just looked completely lost and inaccurate, especially early on in this game. He looked absolutely terrible. The running back situation is something we got to talk about. So only two running backs ran the ball. That was Frank Gore and Devin Singletary. Josh Allen did run the ball 10 times for 38 yards, and they get a rushing touchdown for you as well. So for fantasy purposes, he got you the floor that you're hoping for out of Josh Allen because he did run. But he just looks so bad. It's just not something I could trust. But Devin Singletary had 70 yards rushing on four carries. Frank Gore was the leading guy. Now he only had 11 carries for 20 yards to be expected at this point. Now I know when they said Devin Singletary wasn't immediately going to take over the job, I didn't think they meant he was only going to sprinkle in the spell in for Frank Gore. That's not where I thought they were going with that. Hopefully after this week they learned their lesson. See, Devin Singletary is by far the best running back you have I would suspect coming into week two, he'll have a much bigger role. John Brown had a great game. Seven catches, 123 yards, a touchdown off of 10 targets. Again, it's just something I'm not going to be able to trust because I can't I can't trust Josh Allen. I can't. John Brown's a savvy wide receiver. He's always going to be a guy who he only needs one to take it to the house because he's that type of guy. He's that type of explosiveness. But it's just, it's just not something that I want to ride home about. Not something I'm going to feel comfortable about from a week-to-week basis. Cole Beasley was the second-leading target guy. Nine targets, five catches, 40 yards, zero touchdowns, and no fantasy relevance. So don't even think Cole Beasley is someone to think about either. Devin Singletary was very effective in the passing game. That's what impressed me. That's one of the things I had a question about him coming into college. I didn't know how good he was. I still don't really love his hands. I don't think they're the most natural hands in the world. But he had six targets in this game, five catches, 28 yards. The big thing to take out of that is that if they have confidence with him in the passing game, which clearly they did and, and apparently had more than the rushing game, maybe that'll change. But the big thing to take out of that is Yeldon was a complete non-factor in this game. Complete. No touches. So if that's the case, if Devin Singletary does take over this job at some point, we may be looking at a three-down back. So those of you who drafted him late, those of you who picked him up when LaShawn McCoy left, 
you may be looking at a starting running back in fantasy sooner rather than later. On the Jets' side of the ball, Sam Darnold did Sam Darnold things. 28, 41, 175 yards, touchdown. He's captain checkdown. I've been telling you guys this all summer. And with Adam Gase as his head coach, that only gets amplified. He's not going to take those deep ball threats. Yes, Robbie Anderson was nursing a calf injury, so he maybe wasn't as great as he would have been. But he looked pretty quick out there to me. And there was a couple of times where Sam Darnold flat out just either missed him or didn't see him wide open and didn't bother to throw. But what did I, t- what did I say? I said the mixture of Sam Darnold and Adam Gase amplifies one position on this team, and that's the slot receiver. And Jamison Crowder did just that. 14 catches for 99 yards. Now, it's amazing to me that a wide receiver could have 14 catches and still not get over 100 yards, but that's the Jetson for you. And if you're in PPR leagues, I was telling you the whole time, Jamison Crowder is a sleeper of mine. And that stands true. Standard leagues, nah, maybe not. Half point, I'll think about it. Full point PPR leagues, though, he could play in your flex. He's going to get... While he may not always get 14 catches, obviously, on 17 targets, this was a game that was 17-16. to 16. It wasn't a high-scoring game, nor was it a game that ever got out of control. Jameson Crowder is going to be a big part of this offense all season long. He's a guy you're going to pretty much be able to count on to get you 5-7 to seven catches a game, which is going to be great for PPR, giving you that floor at nothing else. And remember, Jameson Crowder is only two years removed from being a very good fantasy wide receiver in all formats. He was banged up last year on a bad offense. I think Crowder can make a comeback this year. Le'Veon Bell looked decent to me. Yeah, he didn't have a great yards per carry. Only 3.5, 17 carries, 60 yards. Wasn't a whole lot of running room for him to go to. This is a pretty good Bills defensive front. But he did get you that touchdown, and he showed you why he's Le'Veon Bell. Came back, got you six catches, 32 yards, with a receiving touchdown on nine targets. Was the second leading targeted pass catcher on the Jets. He has a, he has a volume floor telling that the whole time he's a volume floor and because he's going to have the ability to score he can get you even more than that and he gets you a two-point conversion in this game we're going to take a quick break right here come back we got more games to recap after this tired of spending hours upon hours on research for your drafts but still want the excitement of having something on the line while watching the game well join the thrive fantasy app where they have streamlined the process for you to make it easy and fun to play along Use promo code MDFF when you sign up with a $10 deposit and receive an additional $10 for free. Again, that's promo code MDFF. Our next game we're talking about here was not going to have too much we have to say because this was just a lop, lop, lopsided affair. I expected the Baltimore Ravens to dominate the Dolphins. I did not expect them to just outright embarrass the Dolphins and make them look like nothing more than a collegiate team which is essentially what they did in this game. Lamar Jackson, for people who have questions if he could throw the ball, he looked pretty good. 17 of 20, 324 yards, five passing touchdowns. Now things are going to get harder because the Dolphins might go down as the worst team in the NFL, the worst defense, especially in the NFL. I do believe they still have some talent on offense, but this looks like a team that quit, and rightfully so. Mark Ingram had 14 carries. He wasn't even the leader in carries. 14 carries, 107 yards, and two touchdowns. And by the way, Gus Edwards had 17 carries in this game. That's not because Gus Edwards got worked in more. It's not because they were rotating them in and out. It was because this game got out of control early. The Ravens were up 21 to nothing in the first quarter. They were up 42-10 to heading into halftime. They just let the backups play. They even yanked Lamar Jackson 
at the end and let RG3 go 6 for 6 for 55 yards and a touchdown himself. Justice Hill at 7 carries for 27 yards. The big thing to take away is that both Gus Edwards and Justice Hill were not efficient. Gus Edwards was only 3.3 yards to carry. Justice Hill only 3.9, while Mark Ingram tore it up when he had the ball, plus a 49-yard run in his own right. So my Mark Ingram call is looking pretty good as far as week one goes. Wide receivers, the big surprise is Marquise Brown. He wasn't coming in. He wasn't supposed to be the starter. It was supposed to be Willie Sneed. It was supposed to be Chris Moore. Marquise Brown was the leading receiver. Five targets, four catches, 147 yards, two touchdowns. Like I said, he reminds me a lot of Deshaun Jackson, and he's going to have the ability to do this. Is it going to be consistent? No. But is he somebody who's just emerged himself as a possible waiver wire pickup? Yeah, because he is a guy who proves to you right away he can hit a home run. I didn't necessarily think it was going to happen in week one, even in a plus matchup, because he hadn't practiced that much with the team. Wasn't sure what his role was going to be. Wasn't sure how much they were going to let him play. They let him play. They let him play often. And there's no reason in my mind they don't keep him on the field because he adds a dimension to that team. You're going to be a run-first team. A lot of teams are going to want to stockpile the box against the Baltimore Ravens. Marquise Brown keeps those defenses honest. And he showed you why today. He will probably be on my waiver wire segment too, FYI. Mark Andrews. Ah, my number one sleeper tight end making me look good because I had a few calls here that didn't go my way this week. So I'm glad to get a couple of them that did go right. And Mark Andrews was one of those calls. Eight catches, 108 yards, a touchdown on eight targets. He was the leading pass catcher for the Ravens, which is what I have been harping on this entire time that he very well could be. Now, of course, Marquise Brown had him beaten in yards, but he was the leading pass catcher. On the Dolphins' side of the ball... There was not much to talk about. Ryan Fitzpatrick got benched when there was nothing left on the line. Josh Rosen came in. He only threw three passes. So I don't know if this means Josh Rosen is going to start week two. I'll say this. Nothing could go any worse. There's nothing to lose for sure. And this is a team that might quit going into week two, which is why it just could get really ugly. There's a report coming out now that multiple players called up their agents after the game and asked them to try to engineer trades because they do not believe the Miami Dolphins staff has any interest in trying to win this season or even try to be competitive in games during the season. They are totally tanking the rebuild. Who those players were, we don't know yet, but I could probably surmise that Kenny and Drake might be one of those guys. How could you not be? Four runs, four carries in this game. Now the team as a whole only had 12 carries. Four carries for 12 yards. Kalen Balaj had more carries for negative one. Negative one. Five carries for negative one yards. That was Kalen Balaj, who got named the starter right before this game. Talking about all week how Kenyon Drake was going to touch the ball so much. And then Kalen Balaj, five minutes before kickoff, gets named the starter. That could be a reason why this coaching staff is being looked at as not even trying to win. That's why I think Kenyon Drake might be one of those players trying to get the hell out of Miami. And I wouldn't blame him. Devontae Parker led the team in targets, seven targets. He had three catches, 75 yards. He is the only Dolphin that had a somewhat decent stat line at the end of the day. So it still gives me some hope that Devontae Parker might be able to do something just by volume default, maybe. Possibly. Still nothing to ride home about. Preston Williams, the rookie, had been impressive all summer long. You know, only three catches, 24 yards, but he did have the touchdown in this game. He does look like a promising talent to come. The big thing for Kenyon Drake continues with the passing game. He only had four carries, but then in a game in which they were getting blown out and had to throw the ball, he only had two catches. 
for three targets for 15 yards. Now, yes, this is a very good Baltimore Ravens defense. Yes, this is a game I expected them to dominate, but this was scary. This was scary. I still liked Kenyon Drake because I thought at the end of the day, especially in PPR leagues, because I thought at the end of the day, he was somebody who was going to have a floor because he should have a volume when it came to rushing and receiving. That may not wind up being the case. Albert Wilson did get hurt in this game. He was out. We'll still have more details for you to come later on this week. Next up, we got the 49ers and the Buccaneers. This game did not really go the way I expected it to either. I had James Winston as my number two quarterback. Ooh, that made me look bad. And that's why I wanted to pat myself on the back for Mark Andrews because I'm about to tear myself down. That offensive line of Tampa Bay is maybe even worse than I thought. Look, yes, the 49ers have added some pass rushers. Yes, they have Nick Bosa now. Yes, they have Buckner. Yes, they have some guys with some talent. That offensive line was dominated by a defensive line that was decent but not awesome. Decent but not awesome. It... Jameis Winston has the weapons. He has the offensive system. He may not have the time. And yet he threw a bad pick at the end of the game. A lot of it has to do with the fact he was harassed all game long. This was bad. This was a matchup that they should have been able to take advantage of, and they were not able to, especially at home. Ronald Jones, 13 carries, 75 yards. He was the only running back that was actually impressive, shockingly enough. He had a big run at the end, the 16-yarder. Tried to set him up to try to put him in position to tie up the game and head into overtime before they threw the game away, literally. Peyton Barber had eight carries for 33 yards, so even though he got the start, he was outworked by Ronald Jones. I wouldn't be surprised if Ronald Jones gets named the starter next week. Chris Godwin led the way for the receivers. Six targets, three catches, 53 yards. He did have a touchdown. Mike Evans is a huge disappointment. But you can go in a laundry list of big-name wide receiver ones that were huge disappointments this particular week. Only two catches, 28 yards, five targets. He was under the weather going into this matchup. Look, at the end of the day, better days are ahead. This offense is too talented to have anemic performances like this every single week. But it just may it may wind up being more the same as far as the year goes when it's all said and done. Unfortunately. It may not take the step up, the consistency that we we're all hoping for. It may wind up being a situation where they're just Jekyll and Hyde as an offense, as a unit. Jameis Winston as a quarterback. That may wind up being the case. But better days are definitely ahead for all of these guys that you had high fantasy hope for, including O.J. Howard, who had four catches, 32 yards, and five targets in this game. On the 49ers side of the ball, Tevin Coleman got banged, got knocked out of this game with a left ankle injury. He was seen in the locker room with a boot around his foot after the game. He's supposed to get MRI results. We'll probably know more uh, throughout the day on Monday, make sure you're following me on Twitter at MDSFFshow to get those news update notifications. I will be very, very active this week because there were a lot of injuries this week, a lot of key injuries at that. In his absence, Raheem Mostert came in, and Raheem Mostert was the most impressive running back of all the 49 running backs this entire game. Nine carries, 40 yards, 4.4 yards carry. Meanwhile, Matt Breida, who led the way, 15 carries, 37 yards, who came out for a little while to get uh, examined for a possible concussion too, by the way. Only 2.5 yards to carry. No rushing touchdowns. Tim Coleman, 6 carries, 23 yards when he was in the ball game. So that's not something you would love to see. Now, Vita Vey wound up playing. Devin White wound up playing. This Tampa Bay front might be a little bit more difficult against the run than they were a season ago, but this still wasn't a stout run defense by any stretch of the means. And that's something to be a little bit concerned about because this 49ers offensive line, like Tampa Bay, is of some concern as well. Now, Raheem Mostert was able to do well. And if Tevin Coleman's going to miss time, Raheem Mostert is going to be a guy you're going to want to look at on your waiver wire too. 
Receiving wise, George Kittle, head and shoulders, knees and toes, by and far, however you want to say it, George Kittle was the leading wide receiver and clearly the only guy that Jimmy Garoppolo trusts as of right now. A catches, 54 yards on 10 targets. He didn't find the end zone on this one, but guys like Dante Pettis, one target, one catch, seven yards. Marquise Goodwin, three targets, one catch, seven yards. Kendrick Bourne, three targets, one catch, nine yards. Debo Samuel, three catches, 17 yards on three targets. It's clear that right now, until Garoppolo gets a little more comfortable back there in the pocket coming off of his injury, until they're able to get more in sync, George Kittle might be the only pass catcher worth a damn in San Francisco until we see something change. And I'm not going to be eager to be playing Dante Pettis or any of those guys until I see something change. That wraps up for that game. Next up, we got the Giants, we got the Cowboys. The Cowboys did what I expected them to do. They controlled this game. They dominated this game, and that's what I expected. Eli actually did throw for 300 yards and a touchdown. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Here at the Container Store, we believe you shouldn't be limited to just one happy place. Your home should be full of them. That's why we're giving you 30% off every custom alpha space. From closets and pantries to playrooms, offices, and garages, you can transform any area with alpha and save 30%. Here's another happy thought. Our design specialists will design your space for free. Get ready to discover your new happy place at the Container Store. Visit us in-store or online to get started with a free design. So for fantasy purposes, Eli wasn't terrible. He didn't throw any picks in this ballgame. They just got dominated. Saquon Barkley was Saquon Barkley. He doesn't find the end zone in this game, but 11 carries, which is shocking he only had 11 carries. 11 carries, 120 yards. He had a 59-yard run in this game. He's still explosive, Saquon. Wayne Gallman was actually the one who found the end zone in this game off of a nice little 15-yard scamper. And he looks to be back in charge as the number two running back. There was some question as to whether he really was or not. Receiving-wise, Evan Ingram led the way. Not surprising to me. 11 catches, 116 yards, a touchdown. He was great in this ballgame. This was a good defense that he went up against. It was a bad offensive performance, and he still performed really well. I've said the entire time, it wouldn't surprise me if Evan Ingram wound up leading the team receiving-wise and definitely leading the team in the red zone. He did both of those in this matchup. Sterling Shepard was involved. Seven targets, six catches, 42 yards. There's not much of a line there. Cody Limer had a decent game, but he's nobody you're going to want to pick up in fantasy purposes. On the Cowboys' side of the ball, everyone was awesome. Dak Prescott, 400 passing yards, four touchdowns. Nobody's more impressive than Dak Proscott so far at the quarterback position. Ezekiel Elliott, 13 carries, 53 yards, a touchdown. Tony Pollard actually had the same amount of carries, 13 as well. Now, that's a number where, kind of like Gurley, I expect that he's going to get more as we go. I know for a fact Ezekiel Elliott is going to get more as we go. He'll be back to getting his 20 carry self. They wanted to be a little bit more cautious with him this week one, coming back, getting the conditioning going, getting his legs underneath of him. This is not going to be a committee by any stretch of the means. This was a one-time thing performance. And if, and if you didn't think it was beforehand, it definitely got cemented by the fact that Tony Pollard was not effective in this game at all. 
only going for 1.8 yards a carry. Receiving, you might be able to own all the receivers in the Cowboys. Now look, this is a great matchup, so this isn't always going to be the case. Dak Prescott may not throw for 400 yards again this season. But in the meantime, Michael Gallup, 7 targets, 7 catches, 158 yards. Mari Cooper, 6 catches on 9 targets, 106 yards. He led the way with a touchdown as well. Randall Cobb gets a touchdown, 4 catches, 69 yards on 5 targets. I mean, Blake Jarwin, Jason Witten, they all got touchdowns. It's not going to be spread out like that. Jason Witten, still not somebody you want to own. He only had 3 catches, 15 yards at the end of the day. Looked ungodly slow. Ezekiel Elliott only had one catch for 10 yards on two targets. I expect he will be more involved in the passing game too. The big thing to take away from this is that Michael Gallup might be somebody you want to take and pick up if you didn't draft him. He did get drafted in quite a few leagues, but he might have gone undrafted in some. He is somebody who might have a legitimate role as a second wide receiver and can sustain a second wide receiver under the Kellen Moore offense, which was very impressive to me in the play calling today. And the other thing to take away is that Ezekiel Elliott is going to get more touches, so don't worry about him. We have three more games to come back and recap after this break, and then we'll shut down the podcast. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is now partnered with the Unwrapped Sports Network. Unwrapped Sports Network has a top-notch sports blog covering all sports all the time with a team of talented writers. You can also visit their podcast page to listen to this show and several others covering multiple sports. Sign up for their newsletter and never miss a thing at UnwrappedSports.com. Again, that's UnwrappedSports.com. Com. One week, one tie. How about that? We have a tie game in the week one matchup between the Lions and the Arizona Cardinals, a game in which the Lions completely choked away here. Look, this Cardinal offense, this area system did not look good. The Lions completely dominated for three quarters, essentially. They did not come to life until the fourth quarter. And Kyler Murray didn't look good. The offense in general didn't look good. And I suspect what we saw the first three quarters is more along the lines of what we may suspect to see come the rest of the season. Now, it might be something in between because I don't expect them to be completely anemic and not be able to move the ball. And they showed you towards the end they were able to get something going finally at the end of the game and were able to tie this thing up because they had no business even being in this game at the end. But that offensive line is bad and not not nearly stable enough, in the, especially in the interior, to run this type of offense, this type of air raid college system that Kingsbury, that Cliffsbury is trying to run. It's just it's not set up that way. It's going to learn. It's going to go to a lot of bad issues. Kyler Murray was inaccurate, threw a bad pick, was sacked a bunch of times. That's going to continue to be the case all season long because of this offensive line. But at the end of the day, he throws 300 yards, two touchdowns, an interception, 29 of 54. The volume was there. And that's the big thing we want to expect. The volume of the passing game was there. And that's what you've been basing this on for the guys that you do like for fantasy. David Johnson wasn't bad. 18 carries, 82 yards. He was pretty efficient with his touches. He also had six catches for 55 yards and a touchdown on seven targets. So he looked closer to vintage David Johnson, getting involved in all facets of the game, going over 100 scrimmage yards, and finding the end zone. Larry Fitzgerald, the old man Larry Fitzgerald, looked great in this game. Eight catches, 113 yards, touchdown on 13 targets. The biggest thing I took out of this game with Larry Fitzgerald is that he looks as good as ever. He does. He can still get open. He can still get separation. He still has great hands. He still has great route running ability. As long as there's a volume to this offense, Fitzgerald really legitimately has a floor. I love him in PPR leagues, and he may even be a flex consideration in half-point and standard leagues as well. 
Keyshawn Johnson was the only other pass catcher outside of those guys who had a decent game or a decent stat line. 10 targets, 5 catches, 46 yards. Christian Kirk was technically the second most targeted pass catcher, but he only had 4 catches for 32 yards in this matchup. The volume is going to be there. I like Larry Fitzgerald. I like David Johnson. Kyler Murray is going to have some games where he is a good quarterback for fantasy purposes for you, especially when it comes to rushing, which he didn't run much in this game, by the way. He only had 13 yards rushing. But he's going to have those games where he's decent for you. Outside of that, I don't know if I trust anybody in this Arizona Cardinal team, and that includes Christian Kirk. For the Detroit Lions, Matthew Stafford had a great game. 385 yards, three touchdowns. Unlike my Kirk Cousins call, Matthew Stafford did make me look good in saying that he was one of my top streaming quarterbacks this week and a bubble borderline QB1. And for fantasy purposes, he did come through for you. Had a great game here. Carryon Johnson was disappointing. Very, there's no other way to slice it. This is an Arizona Cardinal defense that I think will wind up being one of the worst rush defenses in the NFL by the end of the year. Two things disappointed me. One, Carryon Johnson only had 16 carries, 49 yards, so he only had three yards to carry. And he's an explosive guy, and he should be getting a lot more than that. The other thing that disappointed me, C.J. Anderson had 11 carries in this game to carry on 16. Now look, by no stretch of means do I expect Carrion to get a 20-carry workload week in and week out, or maybe even at any point this season. But in a plus game script for most of the game, which this was... He should be getting more of a split than C.J. Anderson. It shouldn't be that close. It shouldn't be that even. C.J. Anderson wasn't good either. And boy, does C.J. Anderson... I don't know if it's just me. I don't know if it's because he's in Detroit Lions white instead of the Rams blue or whatever the case is. But he looks like he got even fatter. His thighs are bigger than my entire body and not because they're muscular. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. But he looks like a fat bowling ball trying to roll through that line of scrimmage right now. Receiving-wise, TJ Hawkinson, the rookie tight end, comes out, nine targets, six catches, 131s, one yard, one touchdown, rubbing that in my face saying, I've been I've been worried about rookie tight ends. I've been worried about they, they signed Jesse James to a whole lot of money. I wasn't sure if they're going to be so keen on just playing him over Jesse James right away because of how much money they spent on him. Uh, you can take that, take that all away. TJ Hawkinson is going to be a competing tight end one all, all all season long he is the way they utilize him he was a focal point of this offense he tied for second for the most targets on the team and he's really good which i already knew he was really good but i was just i wasn't sure exactly how much work he would get now he will lose some touches as we go because kenny galladay who tied with him in targets didn't have nearly the stat line as we will expect him to see in most games coming up. And Danny Amendola was more involved in this week than I think he will be in most weeks as well. He had seven catches for 104 yards, a touchdown, 13 targets. I know Danny Amendola is going to be somebody that people are going to pick up on the waiver wire. And maybe in deep leagues, yes, he has the value, but he's not somebody I'm rushing out for. We all know Danny Amendola is going to have decent weeks until he gets hurt or until he's phased out. Marvin Jones, Kenny Galladay are still on this team. They didn't have as big as stat lines. I expect them to bounce back and have better weeks ahead of them as well. Marvin Jones, four catches, forty-two yards or fifty-six yards. I'm sorry, on four targets. At least Galladay scored for you. Otherwise, it would have been a disappointing day. But he did salvage your fantasy day. For the Bengals and the Seahawks, this game wound up being a lot closer than I expected it to. A lot of that could be attributed to the terrible weather that they ran into. So the game wasn't going as well as they would have thought. But Andy Dalton was impressive. This is a good Seattle defense. Andy Dalton. 51 throws, 35 completions, so definitely a lot of volume here. But 418 yards, two touchdowns. He was good, no interceptions. 
Joe Mixon got hurt in this game, had an ankle injury, was bounced out. He's another guy we're going to have to keep an eye on as the week progresses. But he went out. He only had six carries for 10 yards when he left. He left early on. Giovanni Bernard came in, seven carries for 21 yards. But Giovanni Bernard made his mark on the receiving game, getting two catches for 42 yards just on three targets. Tyler Boyd was a big factor, 11 targets, 8 catches, 60 yards. No surprise there. We know he's going to be a safety blanket for Andy Dalton, especially with A.J. Green out. He he expects to get most of the volume. But in this game, he was not the number one wide receiver. John Ross was. Where the hell did this come from? John Ross went 7 catches, 158 yards, 2 touchdowns, 12 targets. He looked explosive. He actually looked like he had a clue out there. John Ross might legitimately be somebody you have to take a look at while A.J. Green is out. This is an offense that I said from the get-go that I thought fit the Cincinnati Bengals players really well. John Ross take over that Brandon Cooks role where he gets to do those bubble screens. He gets to be in those explosive options. I never thought he'd be able to do this against Seattle. Seattle should have a good defense this year. John Ross looked great. He did. He looks like this offense might truly suit him. And this may not seven catches, 150 yards, and two touchdowns, but... A good performance week to week until A.J. Green comes back could be possible in this offense. That I do think is true. And we'll have to see too. Joe Mixon, we'll see how long he's out. Hopefully not at all. But I would suspect that Joe Mixon is going to be a very much focal point of this offense when he's backing in this game. They had to lean on Andy Dalton in the passing game too. And they were coming from behind. Seahawks, Russell Wilson... Did have two passing touchdowns, but only 169 yards passing altogether and only eight rushing yards. There's a reason why I said Russell Wilson's one of my best guys, because he just does not put up statistical numbers in September, even when he has the opportunity to do so. DK Metcalf was actually the leading wide receiver, four catches, 89 yards on six targets. But the guy who was targeted the most was Chris Carson. They weren't lying about trying to get him involved. Six catches for 35 yards. Rashad Penny wasn't targeted once in this game. One, not once. Tyler Lockett was only targeted twice. He had one catch for 44 yards and a touchdown, so he saves your fantasy day because he has the big touchdown. But he didn't have anywhere near the volume I expected him to have. Now, like I said, this was a weird game. It was It was raining really hard. A lot of things that they probably wanted to do didn't come to fruition. It kind of helped the Cincinnati Bengals defense be more competitive because this is a defense I think is going to get trounced more times than not. But at the end of the day, it was very interesting to see what happened here, especially with Chris Carson getting targeted as much as he did. And on the running game, he gave you 15 carries for 46 yards and a touchdown. Wasn't very efficient, but nobody was very efficient on the ground in this bad weather game. The big thing you want to take away from that is Rashad Penny was clearly number two. This wasn't a committee. This wasn't a rotation. Chris Carson dominated. Shot Penny only had six, t- six touches in this game, while Carson had 21. That's not close. Our last game to wrap up for the Sunday games is the Chargers and the Colts. This was another really good overtime game with the Chargers coming out on top. And just as I suspected, Keaton Allen had a huge game, not just because of the matchup, but also with Melvin Gordon out. He always has big games. Eight, eight catches, 123 yards, touchdown on 10 targets. The big story, though, is Austin Eckler. 12 carries, 58 yards, rushing touchdown, 6 catches, 96 yards, 2 receiving touchdowns on 7 targets, 3 total touchdowns. He was a monster. Of course, the memes on Twitter are flying all over the place, constantly saying, Melvin Gordon who? It's kind of like the James Conner situation a year ago. He came on like, hey, you know what? We'll be all right at running back until, until you come back or if you come back. Now, in Melvin Gordon's case, he has to be able to come back. But maybe the Chargers look at this and say, you know what? With Eckler and Justin Jackson rotating in, 
Maybe we're better off than we thought. Maybe we can get some value for you. Maybe they would be more apt to trade Melvin Gordon and have a more reasonable asking price. It's possible. I think as Melvin Gordon owners, I think a trade would actually be in the best interest of Melvin Gordon owners at this moment. Justin Jackson did not get as many touches as I thought he would. I thought he would be the leading rusher with Eckler being leading passer, with Eckler getting more touches overall as a result, but he got double the amount of carries that Justin Jackson had. Justin Jackson looked good when he got when he carried the ball. Six carries, 57 yards. He looked good, but that was all he got. He had one catch for four yards after that. This is Austin Eckler's job with Justin Jackson giving him breathers, apparently, because this was a competitive game. This was a good game to get a gauge for what to expect to come. Hunter Henry looked healthy in this one. Five targets, four catches, 60 yards. You're going to look for him to find the red zone, but that's a pretty good stat line for a tight end. The big thing is that he's healthy and he looks good. Mike Williams was a big disappointment. Now, he hurt his knee in this game. He got knocked out. Apparently, after the game, he told everyone that he is fine, and he walked out of the locker room unhindered with Keenan Allen after the game. So there is reason to assume that he's actually telling the truth when he says he's okay, which is good. Because I still might think Mike Williams is going to have a good year this year. But three targets, two catches, 29 yards, even before he got hurt, he just seemed to be an afterthought. It's Ke- it was Keenan Allen, it was Austin Eckler the whole way. I really loved Mike Williams as a high-end wide receiver too, possibly this season, because I thought he was going to be a guy who was going to see some volume outside of the red zone finally this season as he got to take over the job, the wide receiver two spot all to himself. He still seemed like he was an afterthought in the game plan. Something to watch. I still think he's a very good wide receiver. I still think he has the talent to break out. He's still going to be a red zone monster throughout the season, for sure. Still going to be probably a wide receiver too, but I do wonder if his ceiling might be getting capped pretty soon. Not going to move the needle on him yet, but something to watch. On the Colts side of the ball, Jacoby Brissett was okay. 21-27, good. Only 190 yards, two touchdowns. Didn't throw a pick, though. He was okay. Marlon Mack was great in this game. 25 carries, 174 yards, one touchdown. He was explosive. He was powerful. He totally led the way. He completely dominated. Naeem Hines wasn't that much of a factor in this game. Only have four carries, which you're not expecting him to come in the carry. You expect Marlon Mack to dominate those. And Naeem Hines was the leading pass catcher as far as the running backs go because Marlon Mack wasn't targeted at all in this game. But he only had four targets, four receptions, and four yards. Four was the name of the game for Naeem Hines today. So something to keep in mind, Naeem Hines totally fell off my draft board when Andrew Luck left because I don't think he was going to get the ball dumped off enough to him to matter. And that reigned true in a game that the Colts were coming from behind most of this ball game. T.Y. Hilton was the big story today. Marlon Mack had a great game, but to me, T.Y. Hilton has to be the big story of the day for the Colts because he had eight catches, 87 yards, and two touchdowns on nine targets with Jacoby Brissett, which is huge because the big thing I didn't like T.Y. Hilton anymore coming in with Andrew Luck gone to is because we had a season of him and Jacoby Brissett, and it was his worst season of his career. For him to come in and get two touchdowns, and they weren't even because of big plays, it's definitely something to write home about if you drafted T.Y. Hilton that you may still have a top-end wide receiver, two in your hands, even with Jacoby Brissett in there, that he still is going to get peppered with targets compared to the rest of the pass catchers. Devin Funches got banged up in this game with a shoulder injury. We'll have to get more details with him, but he was pretty much a non-factor in this one. Jack Doyle, only two targets. Eric Ebron, only three targets. Both only had one catch apiece. That was kind of disappointing to see. Jacoby Brissett usually does go to his tight ends, though, so that's something I expect will improve as time goes. That wraps up our recap for the Sunday games. Remember, on Tuesday, we will come back 
with the Sunday night and the Monday night games and the waiver wire segment. So make sure you stay tuned to that. I hope you guys all enjoyed the show. Remember, you can listen to me on on Radio Public or any one of your favorite podcast apps and check out any one of my networks. I will be seeing you guys all very, very soon. Have a lovely day. Thank you for listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Here at the Container Store, we believe you shouldn't be limited to just one happy place. Your home should be full of them. That's why we're giving you 30% off every custom alpha space. From closets and pantries to playrooms, offices, and garages, you can transform any area with alpha and save 30%. Here's another happy thought. Our design specialists will design your space for free. Get ready to discover your new happy place at the Container Store. Visit us in-store or online to get started with a free design.